Uh, we're starting a study in the book of Matthew, and uh, so excited about this. The the reason that we're gonna reason I've chosen the book of Matthew um, is specifically to see the connection of different kingdoms, different kingdoms. Uh, God's people in the Old Testament they uh, they understood the law. They understood at least the words of the law. Maybe not the intent, but they understood. Uh, that God had called them to some things and even added uh, upon that. And they became people who were professional rule followers. That's what they did over and over again. And they had a, a system. They had a system of worshiping God. I, I say system because uh, much of it became the going through the motions for them of doing feasts and festivals and sacrifices. And they would go through the motions of doing all those things. And obviously, there's a sense where you look at the whole Testament and all the rules and regulations, you see that over and over again, that they were failures at it, uh, that they struggled to do that. In fact, uh, they were failures at that. And yet, even the Jews added more laws on top of that. I, I don't know if they just wanted to try to bring up their percentages or I, I don't know uh, what they were trying with that. But you, you get this picture that they had a religious system. And you come to the New Testament and specifically to the book of Matthew, and you're going to hear the words king and kingdom over and over again. And what Jesus is doing is he's saying, uh, you have your rules and laws and the things that you do, but I want to show you a better way where I am the king and you're part of my kingdom. For us here at Bear Valley Church, uh, my hope and desire, many of us have some kind of religious system that we grew up in. We have some kind of background that we come to today with. And yet, I want us to hear loud and clear, loud and clear that there's one king. His name is Jesus, and he is a part of a new kingdom that needs to replace our old way of thinking. It's so hard because um, we want our experience to be the thing that rules the day. And we want our, 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 the things that we have stored in our mind, the way we look at life, and Jesus says, I'll take care of that. I'll decide the way we're going to think about this. I'll show you a better way. Uh, and this is what we find in the book of Matthew. There are many kings in our world today. There have been many kings in our world. And yet Jesus claims that he is not just one of the many kings, but that he is the king. And not just the king, but the king for you, the king for me. And so as we begin the study and as we uh, get the privilege of walking through the book of Matthew, um, my hope is that we would see clearly uh, our relationship with the king and how that plays out in our uh, lives here today. Let me pray for us just briefly. God, uh, help us sort all this out. Uh, God, we struggle with the past as well as the future and as well as with today, um, God, I pray that you would help us to lay our burdens down, uh, that we would not desire to take the role of king for ourselves, but that we would embrace you as our king. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Um, this morning, I'm not going to go word by word through the genealogies and try to bring application to each person that is listed here. We could do that. Um, some of it would be stretching and others would be uh, uh, very valuable. But I am going to highlight some things as we go uh, through Matthew chapter 1. Uh, down through uh, verse 17. And I'm not going to read through this as to butcher these people's names. It's rude to do, and I just don't want to do it today. We start off in verse 1, and it says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. When you uh, read that, it not much there, but genealogy is the idea of connecting the generations, where we have come from. For God's people, the Jews, this was an extremely important thing. If you were part of God's people, uh, by being in the family, people wanted to know, well, what tribe are you from? Where, how, how have you been connected to this family? And so it was extremely port, important to them. The destruction of the temple in uh, AD 70, most of those records were destroyed and there was a sense of not knowing exactly uh, how they were connected. And so for a Jew to, to see this of Jesus to say, hey, he does have a family. He does have a, a lineage. He is connected and it's important who you're connected to. Um, you know, there's a sense of pride sometimes in our ancestors of them doing great things in the past and somehow that that makes us great. Um, some of us are uh, scared of what we've found out in the past of past generations and we'd rather not talk about it anymore. Uh, I understand that as well. So this is the lineage or the genealogy of Jesus Christ. That word Christ, look for that in the book of Matthew because as uh, Matthew is is sharing about who Jesus is. He purposely identifies him as Christ or the Christ. What that means is it connects to the Old Testament word for Messiah, the one that was to come, the anointed one. And what Matthew is pointing to is he, he is the king that is to come. This is the one. This is the one. As we go through this morning, I, I want you to ask the question, is this the king and is this the king for me? Is this the king for me? And and this is what Matthew is portraying. And really the next couple of weeks as we walk through the birth of Christ, we're going to see that he is the king. He is the king. Uh, and he's not just the king, but he should be the king for me. As you look through that, the first two connections, or really a summary connection in the genealogy, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The son of David, the son of Abraham. That's um, Those aren't in order. Abraham comes before uh, David, and uh, David is generations after. We're going to see that in the lineage. But he puts these two important uh, points is David and Abraham, that that Jesus was connected to these two families, really one family, but he was connected to both of them. In Dave, uh, in a life of David, you'll see this. If you want to um, turn over to Second Samuel chapter seven, while we're turning there, I'm just happy to see some of our college students home. Uh, I'm glad it's spring break. Um, 
you do something wild and crazy and go to Tehachapi. Uh, it's great to see you. Second Samuel chapter 7. As you turn there, uh, this section is, has been referred to as a uh, covenant God makes with David. He, he makes this with David. Now, now, David, there's many things we could say. There's many great uh, events that we are, have recorded in the Scripture. The Psalms uh, are written primarily by David. So there's a lot of things about David that we know. But when God, uh, it's interesting, in the history of God's people, uh, they, they didn't have a God, or they didn't have a king. They had a God, but they didn't have a king. And... Um, that was supposed to be the way, that's kind of the relationship. They have a relationship with God and he would direct them. But they didn't want it like that. Uh, many times we struggle with God's uh, will for us and what's best. and They didn't want it like that. They wanted a king like everybody else. Uh, we, we want to be like every other nation. And so God gave them a king like every other nation. The king was Saul. And Saul, in many ways, was like every other king. He was self-absorbed. He was disobedient. He did his own thing. Uh, And in the end, he showed himself to be one who was just like every other king. God removed him and placed David, David on the throne. As we look in in the midst of David's rule, you you see God speaking to David. David. Uh, through the prophet. And this is what he says. We'll start at verse verse 8. 2 Samuel uh, chapter 7, verse 8. This is, Now therefore, thus shall you say to your servant, to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be a prince over my people, and I have been with you where, wherever you went, and I've cut off all your enemies from before you, and I will make you a, make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint for appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them, so that they may dwell in their own place and not be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more. As formerly, from the time I appointed judges over the people of Israel, I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. He says, I will be uh, to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the son of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him. As I took it from Saul, whom I put away before you, Listen to this. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words, in accordance with the vision, Nathan spoke to David. 
you get this word there. Two, two things I want to point out is he says, David, you know, I took you from chasing after sheep. I took you from the field and I made you king. That, that's not usually the progression to get to be a king. There's some young people here today. If you want to be a king, um, shepherding or farming or chasing after sheep or picking up after sheep or chase, you know, uh, finding lost sheep, that's not usually the step before becoming a king. And yet God says, look, David, this is what I've done. I, I've done this for you. I've put you on the throne. You didn't ascend to the throne. You didn't uh, chase after it. You didn't position yourself. You didn't forcefully twist and bend the circumstances to your will so you'd be king. I put you there. And he says, not just that, but that I will establish your reign, your reign from your family. I will establish it forever, forever. Promise that. Um, we struggle to get into this whole idea of king, but I, that must have been unusual to them because they've seen kingdoms rise and fall. If you studied history, you realize that no kingdom's forever, right? Some of you uh, struggle right now to think of the future of our country because you realize there is a fall to come, that things don't last forever, and yet, as God promised David, he says, but this kingdom, this kingdom, this king, this throne, forever, forever, the reign forever. And back to Matthew chapter one, he says, you know, line of David, right? Jesus, Jesus Christ, this one that is to come, this one that is going to be born and it, we're going to explain his birth and the... He is the one that comes from the line of David. Not just the line of David, though. If you turn back to Genesis, Genesis chapter 12. Um, Genesis, we just looked at, uh, people call that the Davidic covenant, the covenant of David. And now we look to the Abrahamic covenant, the, the covenant that God makes with Abram or Abraham. And this is what it says. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and from your kindred, your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The Abrahamic covenant. He says, first of all, Abraham, I'm going to make you, uh, you know, I'm going to take you to a land, but I'm also going to make you out of your descendants will be a great nation. But not just that, that there will be a blessing that comes from you. What they would have read in Matthew chapter 1 is putting things together. Now, if someone shows up on your doorstep and says, hey, hey I'm the king. Uh, e even if someone shows up on your doorstep and says, I'm a police officer, let me in. You'd say what? Show me your badge, right? 
Uh, explain to me who you are. I, I need to know who you are. Identify yourself. In the first part of the book of Matthew, he's identifying, you know, he's from the line of David, but he's also from the line of Abraham, the place where this is going to come. The blessing is going to come through uh, the line of Abraham. Uh, God's people, the Jews, would have thought uh, about Abraham and saying, oh, yeah, the father, he, he's our father. He's, he's where we all come from. We all go back to this time in chapter 12. And so we learn in verse 1 and, and following in Matthew, it, it really identifies and connects the people saying, you know what, this is the one. It's from the line of David, the line of Abraham. As you look at this, uh, I want to point out um, also, so you have David, Abraham. I want to point out some women that are listed in this group. Now, I don't claim to know everything about why these women were listed, but I find it unusual and interesting. Look at verse 3. Verse 3. Um. Matthew chapter 1, verse 3, it, it speaks of one woman there. It says, and, and Judah, the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, by Tamar. As you look through the scripture, you can find Tamar in Genesis chapter 38. And as you're reading through the book of Genesis, it's kind of interesting. You're, you're following the, the, and there's one chapter that stands out. It's chapter 38. It's awful. It's it's probably the worst chapter in the book of Genesis apart from the fall of man. But the description of it is awful. Um, there's immorality uh, that is hard for us to talk about. There's revenge. There, there's this just incredible wickedness, Tamar, through Tamar. And yet you're struggling here. You're going, okay, so this is the line of the king. This is the line of the perfect one, Jesus. And in the midst of it, it records Tamar, a filthy woman, filthy woman. We go on, uh, we see that there's four four ladies that are, are mentioned here in the line. You look down at verse 5. And Solomon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab, by Rahab. You remember who Rahab is, right? Uh, the book of Joshua, as they're going into the city and they're coming to conquer, they send in spies ahead of, ahead of time and they're, they're looking to hide and they find this one woman who was a prostitute. And she, in the midst of just being a, a woman of the city and, and doing her business, she realizes that God has his hand on this, these people. And, and she looks at her life. She looks at her connection with her city. And she says, I got to change allegiances here. <laughs> and I, I will protect you, but remember me. And you see in the life of Rahab, as uh, history goes on, the other times we see she is enveloped into God's people. She identifies with them as time goes on. But what she is is both a prostitute and and one who switches loyalties, lies to preserve the spies. And we look at that and we go, 
The line of Christ? Yeah, the line of Christ. Hard to figure out, isn't it? As we go on in that same uh, verse, the next woman we see, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, by Ruth. We know from the book of Ruth, the story of her, she is a widow. Uh, she And she's a Gentile widow, meant to be cast out, meant to be cast out. But instead of being cast out and going back to her people, she says, no, I want to be, I want to follow after my mother-in-law and, and her God. I, I want to be with them and be them a part of the people. No business being here, but she finds a husband and, and that becomes part of the line of Christ. As I read this, I go, boy, this is quite a list. The last lady uh, that's spoken of here is in verse 6. It says, And Jesse, the father of David, the king, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Now, if you're wanting to cover things up, you would have worded it differently. Okay? Uh, You know, ways that I would have written this, and sometimes I I don't like to say it plainly. I like to put a veil on it. Um, uh, King David with Sheba. That's what her friends called her. Uh, um, I don't know that's what her friends called her, but... If you would have said the word Bathsheba, everyone would have thought about the event. But even worse to say Uriah's wife, which points to adultery. That David, we've already talked about him being the one promised that God would establish his throne forever. And in the midst of talking about David's impact in the lineage, it says this, that he had a son through someone else's wife, someone else's wife, which brings us back to that time in history of what happened where kings were all out to war, except for David. What was he doing? You know, what was he doing? He should have been out to war. That's what he, where he was supposed to be, but he wasn't. And instead of being out to war, he, he was at home and, and he saw this beautiful woman and he gathered her to himself and he, he, he sinned. He sinned grievously. And, and not just that, but as he sinned, he realized what he had done. And he says, well, you know, I'm going to lie and get Uriah to come back. And that didn't work. And so ultimately he had uh, Uriah killed as the, the, they were out to battle. He made sure that he was abandoned at the front. And as the enemy overtook them, Uriah was slaughtered on the battlefield to cover up his sin, to cover up his sin. And in the midst of the line of Christ, God puts in there, he says, let me tell you about the line of Christ. That Bathsheba was a part of it. I'm not even going to mention her name. Uriah's wife. Uriah's wife. Well, there is one other woman, the concluding one. You look down in verse 16, describes another woman. It says, And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. The husband of Mary. Interesting, uh, you know, we get to Mary. 
insignificant. We, we sometimes glamorize and glorify her, but we know nothing spectacular about her other than she was chosen by God's own doing to give birth to the son who would be the savior, who would also be the king in the line of David and the family of Abraham. Well, what does this tell us? Uh, many people have speculated why these ladies were in there. Some would say that it's God's heart for women is that he wants to include them. And there is some truth to that. I don't think that that's necessarily the point in this passage. But as you look at this and you see these four unlikely ladies, dirty women, if you will. And I want to point out something to you. They weren't the only dirty ones. You look at the life of Abraham, of Isaac and Jacob. You look at the the life of David. You, You look at their lives and what we know, they were filthy with sin. And so everyone from top to bottom in the line of Christ, apart from him, he's the only one who was sinless. You see, uh, that's humanity. That's humanity. Sometimes we like to think about ourselves in our holiness, which really is just isolated events, most of them done with wrong motives. You know, minor things, we put a spotlight on them and we take a picture and you say, remember when I was doing something great? Remember when I was doing something that was holy? And yet as we look at the humanity of mankind from generation to generation, what we can say about them is not holiness, but sinfulness. Sinfulness. The line of Christ. As you look at this, um, it's a shock to us. It's a shock to us. We, We like to think, we would like to think that God's people are perfect. We'd like to think that we are perfect. And every once in a while, there's just little something. It's not true. I want to point out one more thing uh, in uh, this lineage um, that will hopefully um, bring out something interesting to you as you think about the king, the king, the plan of the king. If you look down uh, towards the end of him listing out the generations in verse 17. Look at what it says. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to to the Christ, 14 generations. It couples those uh, in Three groups of 14. And part of that is just a method of organization. Others have speculated that the number 14 connects with the the name of David. And so we see a connection back to the kingly line. Others have suggested uh, that there's a, a picture of the Holy Spirit being in there as part of the generations. If you count them out, the last one, uh, it, it's not exactly, uh, it's 14 but what he does is he carries over and the connecting transition number and counts them in both lists. And some of you go, oh, the math, the math problem right there, right? Um, it's the same thing as uh, three days, two nights, okay? It's that sort of thing. Is it three or is it two? Depends how you're counting, right? It's 
depends on the intent. As you look at that, there's one event in those 14 lists that is marked there, the captivity, the captivity in Babylon. What's the captivity in Babylon? How does that fit into this? Well, you have your your covenants that God promised with his people. He says to Abraham, I'm going to bless the the nations through you. And for David, he says, I'm going to establish your kingdom forever, forever. Okay. But what happens if you look at the, uh, the history of God's people, there's captivity that they were overtaken by God's enemies and they were brought into captivity. What would have happened to the promises of God during those days? What would have happened to God's people if we were God's people and we knew that there was this blessing that was to come, the, the, the kingdom would be established forever. And you're going, I, I'm excited about this. And then you get taken into captivity. Your city, your nation's been ransacked and God's people have been taken into captivity. And you go, oh no, oh no, it's over. The hope that we had that God would one day come and write this, it's over. We're in captivity, it's done. But what's the reality of it? That God's plan was still prevailing. It was being worked out year by year, even in the midst of the sin of God's people, you have this God working out his plan and to bring Christ, Jesus, the one that was to be the king, the one that was to be the savior, the anointed one. Even in the midst of that, his plan was being worked out. Well, uh, that's all interesting, I'm sure. Um, But what do we get out of this? What do we get out of these verses of genealogy? First thing is this. Uh, Jesus had a family. Jesus had a family. He was connected to a family. This is the uh, connection to his legal father, Joseph. You have, this is all going through him and the connecting to the point of his birth. Jesus had a family. That family connected to the plan of God. The plan of God. Um, when back to how people become king, uh, there are other ways to become king other than being born into it. Being born into it's the easiest, right? When you're born into the uh, the, you're the son of the king. Guess what? You wake up, uh, you go about your day, you grow up like everybody else, and one day you figure out, oh, dad's king. Oh, and you start learning at an early age, dad's king, and when dad's gone, you'll be king. This is great. All I got to do is grow up. Uh, All I got to do is wait. That's all I got to do. That's how I become king. Other ways to become king um, are some kind of violent coup, right? A power struggle. Some countries in our world today, they do this every two, three years, right? Uh, they get a, a, a king or political structure in place, and they, they, they say it's going to be different. And all in good time, it usually isn't different. And people get mad again, and they overthrow that. And someone new comes. 
Um, some would say this is kind of like the United States. You know, we we do this with our political system. It's usually a little bit more civil, but we do uh, change from time to time, and there is a sense of back and forth. It's interesting that um, many times there's a power struggle of manipulation and political wrangling, uh, of of lying and and deceiving and. Uh, positioning one so that they can become to power. But you know what? That never lasts all that long, does it? There's a sense in which that's terminal. It will end someday and somebody else will come to power. But I want to tell you, first of all, um, Jesus did not come simply because his dad was king and, you know, he, he was king too. He came with a lineage but he was born in a stable. We'll find that out in the next uh, weeks. Jesus did not come and and have this coup where he jockeyed his followers and they did an overthrow of the government. And that's how he became king. He was king by who he was. And there's not a sense of manipulation in any way, shape or form. He is the king by who he is. Well, uh, so is the plan of God. The Father loved us so much that He sent His Son Jesus to be our new King. I want you to get this morning that Jesus is the King. But this second part is so important. Is He the King for you? Is He the King for you? Um, you know what? Uh, most of us are resistant to a King, right? If we find someone telling us what to do, having control over our lives, we go, ah, nope, I'm a free agent. Do my own thing. I don't let anyone, I don't trust anyone. And there's a sense of goodness to that, Why? right? There's many false kings out there. But if you don't acknowledge that Jesus Christ is your king, you either have someone else or you have placed yourself in the role of king in your life. Let me ask you, how's that going? How's that working out for you? It's so painful when we have to see the emptiness of our own lives and the, the, how our own decisions of making decisions just for us because we thought they were the best. And we, how, how does that work out? It's awful. It's awful. This morning, as we've gone over the lineage, I I want you to know that the king that is Jesus, the one that is the Christ, he came to be king. He is the king, but he didn't just come to to be the king. He came to be your king and you need him. This morning, if you haven't trusted in Jesus Christ, if you don't have a relationship with him, that's what you're missing. If you'd love to, I'd love to talk to you afterwards and walk you through, answer any questions that you might have. We realize it's a big deal. It's not like, you know, uh, hey, you got to make a decision now. You need to make a decision, but you need to know what decision you're making. We'd love to talk to you about this. Jesus Christ is the king. Is he your king? That's the question. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. I ask that you would continue through your spirit to work in our midst right now. God, 
convict us of our sins. Some of us have been out there on our own thinking that we can do whatever we want. If Jesus is the king, we cannot. We need to follow him. God, I pray that in the weeks to come, as we look through your word, uh, as we see that Jesus came to be a different king and to bring a different kingdom, may we see the superiority of Christ in his kingdom. God, I pray for those right now that struggle with knowing you, and I pray that they would uh, come to the place where they can put their full trust in you and follow the, the king who is Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.